Good morning. The scripture reading today comes from 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know what he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before your holy throne of grace to ask and petition that you may be with us as we hear your word. Would you be with me as I deliver your truth and your words? And together may we understand the whole counsel of God, of who you are and what you have done for us. And after we have heard these words and as the Holy Spirit uses them, may we be changed. May we see you more clearly. May we love more greatly and give all the glory unto you. We know that we are doing something special here. May we experience your grace right now as your word is preached to us. We thank you, O oh God, for all that you do and all that you continue to do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is our last sermon of our series, First John, um, and we've titled it, That You May Know. And we've titled it just because um, John, as he's writing to this congregation or to this group, he is writing to them to reassure them of their faith. Remember, if we uh, remember the whole context of this letter, this was a group that was influenced by the Gospel of John. And if you've ever read, read the Gospel of John, you would know what John's whole purpose was in writing that fourth gospel. He tells us in John chapter 20, verse 31, why he wrote this gospel to begin with. It says this, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The gospel of John, the whole purpose of this book was so that people would believe in Jesus and after hearing this gospel, people did believe in Jesus, and they were encouraged by Jesus, and they began to live their Christian faith. But we know somewhere along the line, this community, this group got discouraged. They split apart because they did not know who Jesus was, and they began frantically looking for answers as they were hurt from this split or from this group. So John writes this letter 
to that same community. And this is what he says in verse 13, the first verse of our pericope today. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The whole letter was just to reassure them, you have eternal life. You know the Son of God. Continue on in this faith. In some ways, this letter should be encouraging to all of us because this is our journey. At one point, we believed in the name of Jesus. It became so true to us. And then through life or some events, we began to doubt. Do I really believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do I really believe these things? We might have gone through church splits and say, there's no way that this is the Son of God. But yet here, John is continually reminding us, no, you do believe. Be assured of your faith. So we should be encouraged by this letter because if you've been Christian for any number of years, you have experienced this doubt where you just say, do I believe? Is this all really true? And as we struggle with doubt and as we struggle with the assurance of our faith, what John does and what we should do is immediately go back to who Jesus is. What has Jesus done? What is Jesus doing and what will he do? And after we ask all these questions, we begin to believe once again. But here is the tricky part. Believing in Jesus is the tricky part. How do you continually believe in Jesus? Do you just say, Jesus, 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 and then believe? No, that's not the answer. The way John is now proposing is saying, you don't just believe by just doing nothing. How you believe and how you keep that assurance of faith is by praying. In these final verses, John is encouraging this community to pray to continue on in the faith, and to continually believe in Jesus. And so he brings out three points in this text, and it's simply to pray continually. That's going to be my first point. Pray continually so that you keep that assurance of faith. Second, pray corporately so that not only you keep that assurance of faith, but the body keeps the assurance of faith as well. And third, pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Pray in the person who has power. And this is what we see John exhorting these people as he concludes this letter. So let us see what he has to say about prayer. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The one thing you can do if you believe in the gospel, the, the immediate next step you can do if you truly believe the gospel is pray. Why? Because the very act of praying shows that you believe in the gospel. Every time we come before God and say, dear God, we expect him to hear our prayers. And why do we expect him to hear our prayers? Why do we expect anyone to listen to our prayers? Well, it's because of Jesus. It's the promise that he gave us. That when he died for us, he said, you are able to approach the throne of grace and you are able to ask God anything. And so when you have that confidence to come before God and ask him of your desires and your petitions, 
That is because of the gospel. You see, prayer continually allows us to be reminded of the gospel and experience the gospel. We are in the position to ask God and talk to God because of what Jesus has done. Here's what Hebrews has to say about the whole matter. Chapter 10, verse 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, as John says, confidence. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We pray because of the gospel. Prayer is acting out the gospel in its purest form. And we have to remember that those who do not pray, those who do not engage in this act are usually the ones who quickly forget the gospel, who quickly forget God, who begin to depend on other means or devices or other gods. And that is why John is saying, go to God continually. Don't forget who he is. Don't just remember, but pray. Use your whole body to remember the gospel. And as you pray, you'll also find yourself remembering another thing. You'll begin to remember God's will. Here in this verse, it says, pray anything according to God's will. And this is where a lot of Christians find problem. When they haven't prayed in a very long time, they come to pray before God, and they realize they do not know what to pray for because they don't know God's will. Now, God doesn't condemn us for that. God is saying, okay, you don't know my will? Come then, find out what my will is. And how do you find out the will of God? These days, a lot of people love the secret will of God. They just want to know the exciting things of God, like, am I going to win the lotto, God? Or who am I going to marry? How is my child going to turn out? Am I going to get this job promotion? They want to know the secret will of God. And look, we can pray for those things. But God has revealed his will plainly in the scriptures. Here in the Bible, God has revealed his will for the whole world to see. And so when we pray, we simply come knowing the Bible and asking God to do his will. And what are some of the things that we can pray for as we come to God? We see 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 say this, that God desires all all to be saved. He desires all people to be saved. And so that is something that we can come to God and pray for. God, will you save this brother or sister? Will you save my cousin? Will you save this person? Second, we can also say, God, be gracious to me. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, God is explicit. He has a desire to be gracious to us. So you may find yourself not feeling the grace of God. You may be in a time where you feel like God may not like you or love you, or you may not feel loved. And here is something God is asking you to pray for. May you feel my grace. Pray for those things. Another thing we can pray for is that we do justice, that we love kindness, and that we walk humbly with our God. That's Micah 6.8. 
he says his will is for us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. And if you find yourself not doing those things, pray for these things. For this is the will of God. There's another will that God has, that he is yours forever and that he remains your God forever. That you guys have a relationship that expands to all eternity. Pray for these things. Now, I've only touched on a, um, a few things that God has desired for all of us. We have a whole book, 66 books in what God reveals his will to us and what we can pray for. And what happens when we begin to pray for God's will? We begin to see God for who he truly is. He's an amazing God. He's a God who wants us to experience the fullness of life. He wants us to see what he desires. When we pray the will of God, we become more human. Have you ever read of the Psalms in which God expresses all ranges of emotions? God is angry at the sin of the world, and so we can be angry at the sin of the world. God is oftentimes sad and, and sometimes even mourning the state of the world, and God calls us to do that as well. Psalm 88 is probably one of the most depressing psalms ever known to mankind. And God says, you can go to those depths because I am there and you will meet me there. We can sing songs of joy and be happy because of Psalm 100. God has done it all and we can sing all his praises and all that he has done. And so as God invites us to pray his will, we begin to experience the full range of God. And we begin to fall in love and say, God, you are an amazing God. Thank you for loving me. As we begin to pray, we are reminded of the amazing truth of the gospel. That we are allowed there and that we can pray as we pray because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And as we continue to pray, God reveals himself to us, and we fall in love all over again. And we feel good about our faith. Truly, this is the God who saves, the God who comforts, and the God who guides us for the rest of our life. But God doesn't want us to just remain there. More than just praying for us, he desires for us to pray corporately. And this is my second point. Here in verses 15 to 17, John urges the brothers and sisters to pray for the body of Christ. I've titled my second point, Praying Corporately. Now, what does this mean? When I first heard this term, praying corporately, I thought it meant we had to pray for businesses or something. But all this really means is praying for the body. If you look at the root word of corporate, it means corpus, which means body. So we pray for our brothers and sisters in the faith. And it's important that we pray for the brothers and sisters in the faith because ultimately it's not about our own assurance that matters. It's about the assurance of the body of Christ that is ultimately the goal John seeks. John wants not just us single individuals to have assurance of faith. He wants the body to have assurance of faith. And so that is why in verse 16, John says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. Now, this is a pretty um, 
packed verse, so we're going to look at certain segments, and then I'm going to show you how this verse means that we have to pray for the body corporately. First, it says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death. Now, when anyone reads that verse, people always think, what is the sin that leads to death? Everyone's like, well, so I, just so I can stay away from that sin. And, and throughout church history, people have fought over what are these sins that lead to death. First, what is death? Here, John is talking about spiritual death. And what is the sin that leads to spiritual death? John has been talking about it all along. The only sin that leads to spiritual death is not believing Jesus is the Christ. If you do not believe Jesus is the Christ, what happens? It turns out you make God a liar. You are no longer in a relationship with God. This is 1 John 5.10. This is the testimony that he has given to us. And if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, then you are on your path towards spiritual death. And what are we to do when we see a brother committing a sin? What are we to do? We need to ask and pray for that brother or that sister. And then God will give him life. And what does that mean that God will give him life? I thought this person was already Christian. I thought as a Christian we already have eternal life. What do you mean that God will give us eternal life if we just pray? And all this is to say that we have not yet received the gift of eternal life. It is ours, but we have not yet received it. It's this whole concept of already and not yet. Because we still have to physically die to receive and experience actual eternal life. And this is a common theme that we see throughout the Bible. Yes, we are saved by Jesus, but we have to continue pursuing in the faith. Continue in our perseverance. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. 1 Corinthians 9.24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. In all these verses, they're talking about eternal life. It is ours, but we have still not yet received it. So all John is asking is that we pray for our brothers so that they may continue on in the faith. Now, what does this have to do with assurance? We pray for our brothers and sisters because usually when they are sinning, it is usually because they have begun to doubt some aspect of the gospel. Right? They do not just sin because they want to sin or they just want to be evil. They sin because they no longer trust in the promises of God. Not no longer trust, but they're beginning to doubt if it's true. People who sin usually begin to lose their trust that Jesus is who he says he is. They no longer believe that Jesus can satisfy their loneliness. They no longer believe that Jesus has secured for them eternal riches in heaven. People begin to believe that Jesus no longer will redeem their physical bodies and that they will have new ones in heaven. They no longer believe that Jesus could love a person like himself or herself or another. 
This is what they begin to believe, and so they find themselves sinning, putting their trust in something else. Yet this is dangerous for the body, and when the body hurts, we hurt. So we pray for this person. We pray for this brother and sister. Now, sometimes we think, well, why don't we just talk to them? Why don't we just begin confronting them? Because in some parts of the Bible, it does say that. But here, John is saying your first response is prayer. And I think this is the most important thing. We first pray for the brother and sister who is sinning. Why? Because what they are engaging in is a spiritual battle, something that we may not be able to handle. As I get older, I mean, I'm not saying I'm old. Some of you may think I'm old, youth group. But as I get older, I'm becoming to realize this one truth. There is a lot of things that we cannot do to help people. People just say, why don't, you have, why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do this? Why don't you do this? But it is so complicated and it's so convoluted, it's hard to know what is the right thing to do. And ultimately, it's hard to say or know exactly what that person needs. It's very complex. And usually what this person is engaging in is a spiritual struggle in which you or I cannot change. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much truth we speak to the person, they cannot see what is going on. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts where this issue of depression or mental health is being brought up. And the more and more I hear it, the more I understand that many people are suffering from it. Many people are suffering from it. Everyone is suffering from it. Pretty much. And people say, oh, why don't they just talk to this person? Or why don't they just do this? Or why don't they do A, B, or C? And that simplifies the problem way too much. Here, John reminds us this: what we are up against is the forces of the world. There is a spiritual battle that is continually going on. And to just simplify it and say, oh, if they just went to this class or if I said these words, they would have been here. What we need is a powerful force. And what we need in conjunction with all those things is the Holy Spirit working on our behalf. Prayer is absolutely vital because prayer is the surest thing of changing that person's heart, of making the blind see. This is why John says pray. The battle is not simply doing A, B, or C. It's all of it. And more and more, I find myself ill-equipped to handle these huge matters that are on our hands. We need to come together. We need to pray. And in that, the Lord will begin to move. He will bring the right doctors, the right medications. He'll bring the right people to speak. It will be a team effort that is coordinated by the Spirit. And in the end, we will give glory to God. That is why Spurgeon himself said this. No man can do me a truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. Brothers and sisters, we pray for one another. 
so that we are assured that Jesus is the Christ and that we begin to believe. But how do we pray? And this is my third point. We don't just pray to anybody. We don't just pray generally. John says you must pray in the name of Jesus. Because not any prayer will do. Everyone says, sure, I'll take prayers from this religion. I'll take prayers from this religion. Whatever prayer will work. John is saying that is not how Christianity operates. You cannot just give up prayers. And he even says those prayers are useless. What we need to do in this church is pray in the name of Jesus Christ. People who are born of God are the ones who have the power of prayer. They are the ones that believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's what's said in 1 John 5.1. How do you know that you're born of God? You believe that Jesus is the Christ. In these final verses, John begins to say, For that you know, for we know, for we know, for we know what? That Jesus is the Son of God. That he is the Christ. And that there is power in his name. And John is so confident in this that he says this very controversial verse. What does he say? Those who are born of God do not sin. Now, as most Christians read that, they take a step back and go, whoa, I sin. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, I sin. And most people get discouraged because they say, well, if I'm sinning, does that mean I'm no longer Christian? That's why it's so important to read this book in its context. John says this as an encouragement to us. And what is he saying? You are born of God. You do not sin. Meaning, sin has no power over you. You will not sin to the point of spiritual death. Sin does not control your identity. You are a child of God, and that is your power. That is the power that we believe in. That reality. Many times people will think that they are defined by their past or their wrongdoings. And, and that's how society has set it up. As we go to jail, you're a convict for life. As you do these uh, bad or heinous acts, you're always known as the murderer. You're always known as the person who cheated. You're always known as the adulterer. And people try to define you by your past sins. But here in the church, what we say is those past sins are forgiven. You are a child of God. Those sins do not define you. Those sins do not have power over you. Believe in the one who gives you true power. So we pray in the name of Jesus and no one else. We don't do regular prayers. We don't just do prayers hoping somebody will answer. We pray to God himself through Jesus Christ. And that is why John ends this letter saying, little children, keep yourself from idols. Now, on that last verse, he's not talking to only little children. He's talking to the whole congregation because he sees the congregation as his flock and as his children. And he says this to them, don't put your trust in anything else. Don't put it in money. 
Don't put it in your job. Don't put it in any other performance because if you do, the important thing is not that you'll sin, but you'll lose faith in Jesus and you will strip yourself from the most powerful thing known to mankind. Don't do that to yourself. Believe in Jesus who is good and who is powerful. Be reminded of the gospel. Be reminded of who God is. And the way we do that is by praying in the name of Jesus. My hope and prayer for all of you is that you would begin to pray and tap into this amazing resource that God has given to us and that we would pray in the name of Jesus. Let us go now and utilize this gift. And may I pray on behalf of us. And may we pray in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. And we know that as we come together and we come collectively pray this prayer, that things will change. That things will occur. And God, help us to see your will and help us to see you answer our prayers so that we may be encouraged. Lord, we know that you want us to give you praise. We know that you want us to know how amazing and wonderful you are. And so we ask God, reveal yourself. Let us see it. Let us get excited for what is happening. Lord, let us do justice. Let us evangelize. Let us do all these things so that you would be revealed and that you would be praised. Lord, help us to get over our sins. We know that you are able and that you are powerful. We are all children and we are a body and we collectively cry out to you saying, God, change this world for your glory. Lord, we eagerly wait and expect for this to happen. Thank you, God, for giving us this chance and this opportunity to pray for these things. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.